This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome back. If you came last week for the first time on Easter and you decided to join us again, man, I'm so thankful that you're here. Welcome back. If you came today for the first time, welcome to New Life. I'm so glad that you chose to join us today. Uh, My name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to guide us today as we continue to journey together with God. Uh, I want to say one thing about New Life, if you're, especially if you're new with us, just to kind of give you a lay of the land. New Life, uh, we created this church about 20 years ago with a reality and, and a realization that oftentimes churches accidentally build up walls or barriers that keep people who want to engage with God from engaging with God. And, and as churches, we don't do it on purpose. It's accidental, but it's things like... Uh, you know, not telling you when to stand up or sit down. And you walk in for the first time and you think, oh, I'm the only one who doesn't know how to do this. It's things like uh, having, not having the words up on the screen when we do music or expecting you to bring a Bible. Well, if you're brand new to, to church and you don't own a Bible, why would you bring a Bible? So at New Life, we've done things that we can do to break down those barriers that would keep people from engaging with God. So we always have the words on the screen. We always tell you where we're going. Uh, We try to guide this time together. If you want to bring your Bible, bring a Bible. But the Bible scriptures are always on the screen. They're always inside your program. Uh, We try to do everything we can. So for example, I I believe, and um, it's not It's not biblical, it's not in the Bible, but it's experiential. Here's what I believe. I believe that that God's Holy Spirit combined with caffeine is a good pairing. I so, like, I genuinely believe that, which is why we do morning services and why it's okay to bring coffee into the auditorium. And if you don't believe me, just look at the carpet squares. You'll see, it's okay. Because at, at New Life, we believe you're more important than a carpet square, you know? So I'd rather you be comfortable, you be ready to engage, than have a really, really clean carpet because you matter more than the carpet squares do. I take those stains as a badge of honor until we clean them and then I take a clean carpet as a badge of honor. So it's a win-win for me. But I just want to say, I want you to create some space today just to engage with God because we believe that in this process of really engaging with him, and we're going to talk about what that looks like today, really engaging with him, he begins to change and transform our lives. And so uh, welcome and welcome back. And if it's week two, you're on a streak. This is fantastic. So keep it up. See how long you can go. I think you won't regret it uh, for being here. When you walked in, you received a program. Uh, Go ahead and grab that right now. And I'll just warn you, I can see you. So if you're just staring at me, I might have to call you out. Uh, They gave me a laser pointer for later on today. So just be aware. Um, I'm having allergies and I was like, I shouldn't rub my eyes. I'm just going to shine the laser in my eye to try to help the allergies. I'm just kidding. Just making sure you're still away. Uh, Grab your programs. Grab this card that says start here. Uh, This is your all access pass to our pastoral team. Uh, This is how we can pray for you and partner with you and resource you. So this is really a tool for you to have. And I would invite you just to go ahead and put your name on this and maybe your email address if you're a guest with us or whatever the best way to contact you would be. Uh, And then on the back, you can write down prayer requests. You can get information about various ministries. You can sign up for things. Um, Anything that you need is really on here. At the end of the service today, we'll be passing some baskets and you can just drop this in the basket when it's passed. 
The other thing you're going to want are teaching notes. And I know some of you, like me, are auditory learners, and you don't get a lot out of writing. I would encourage you, and I only say this a couple times a year, there are certain Sundays when I think the notes are going to be really, really helpful for you. So if you're not normally a note taker, I would invite you at the very least to grab this on your way out, because there's something on the back that I think could be really helpful for you. So uh, for what it's worth, if I were sitting where you are, I'm not always a note-taking guy, today I would be doing it. So go ahead and get your teaching notes ready. We're launching into a brand new series that we're calling The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God, Spirituality for the Rest of Us. And that word contrarian literally means a person who takes an opposing view, especially a view that rejects kind of the common norms. And for the next 12 weeks, uh, we're going to look at how we grow spiritually, what it looks like to really grow in God or to mature in our faith. And the reason I say it's a contrarian view is that we created about a year ago, we created a think tank to figure out how do people really grow spiritually? And as a church, how can we help our community really grow closer to God and learn how to mature in their faith? And that group spent a year reading books, looking at what other churches are doing, getting resources and material. We had some pastoral team on that. We had some volunteer leaders in that. And as we thought and talked and prayed and read, and as our pastoral team continued to engage, we found that the majority of spiritual growth programs, or if you've been raised in the church, it's called like a discipleship program, the majority of these were lacking. That they, they looked really good on a church website, and they made you look really smart, if you were going to the church website, but they didn't actually do anything. And so we decided, instead of just doing something that looks good on our website or makes us sound really smart, we're going to try something different. We're going to look at a different way to engage with God in a way that might be counter to the normative way to do it. And listen, I'm going to lay out the normal way that people, like that people normally or churches normally talk about spirituality. And if if that works for you, great keep doing it. But if it doesn't work for you, I'm hoping that this contrarian or other view might really be helpful for you. And we're going to spend, I don't know, 10 to 12 weeks really pressing into this topic. Because as a church, we believe that to really engage with something, it takes time. You can't just microwave it. You got to crockpot it. And I say this oftentimes when we start, like, you know the difference. Last night we were with some friends and she had been um, slow cooking lamb for three days three days. I know. See, this is the bad part. We're doing this thing with these two other families, and once a month, each family hosts. She was the, they were the first one. I say she because really she did it all. Um, (laughs) They were the first ones, and they set the bar way up here. So she's slow cooking lamb for three days, and you walk into the house, and it's just like, boom, you get this smell, and your senses just start to go. Why? Because, Because slow cooking is so much better than microwaving. What if she just grabbed some, you know, some stofers and thrown it in the microwave and started to microwave it up, said, here's dinner? It just doesn't have the same effect. And so when it comes to our faith, when it comes to pressing into topics or engaging with God, we don't want to just do one week on something and then move on to the next and move on to the next. We want to we slow cook. We want to kind of marinate in it so that when you, when you walk in, you get this fragrance of like, oh, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And so we're going to take a journey together. And I would encourage you, as much as you can, and we're going to head into the summer, I get that, but as much as you can, you're not going to want to miss this journey because it's a path that kind of meanders its way into growing. So first I want to start off with the the common prescription 
for spiritual growth. If you go and look up uh, churches' websites on spiritual growth, if you go find some books on spiritual growth, they really boil down to one big idea. The common prescription is simply this. If you want to grow spiritually, you just need to know more and do more. Know more and do more. That's the common prescription. And if you really pressed into how most churches view spirituality and spiritual growth, it would come down to, well, you got to know more and you got to do more. And in your notes, I put no more and just left some space. Here are the common no mores. Study your Bible more. So read your Bible more, get into small groups more, um, maybe learn the history of the Bible. So the Bible says this, but there's this whole narrative that goes underneath. And again, these are not bad things. These are all good things but know the history more. Read books about Jesus. Go to the Christian bookstore. Make sure you get more books. So you're always reading a book about Jesus. Don't read, don't read a non-Jesus-oriented you know, book. You need to know more about him or learn your spiritual gift. And then the second category is do more. So come to church more often. Make sure that you're in a life group. Serve more in the church. Give more to the church. Those are our big four when it comes to do more. Now, each of these can be great. There's nothing wrong. I would encourage you, come to church more. You won't regret doing it. I would encourage you, serve in church, but maybe not for the reason you think that the church would want you to serve in church. I think serving in church is a way to engage in relationships and to learn more about yourself and learn more about God and and give yourself away to other people. I would say give more to the church, but not for the reason you think. It's good to give more to the church because churches, this church is, is being used by God to transform people's lives. And if I could give my money anywhere, I, I'd want to give it to an organization that is transforming lives. So each of these is good, but in and of the, themselves, none of these translates to spiritual growth because they're all missing one key component. Did you catch it? No. Good, or else I would be out of a job. None of these has anything to do with engaging with God. You could do all of those and completely miss God in the process. You could read your Bible more. You could come to church more. You could give more, serve more, study more, and never actually encounter God in the process. See, the traditional spiritual growth process assumes that if we just know more and do more, we will engage with God. But as we look at life, we recognize that you could, you could give all your money away. You could be in church every Sunday. You could know every book of the Bible. You could have memorized that song in kids' church and completely miss God in the process. And that is, by the way, the definition of religion. Religion is knowing more and doing more without ever engaging with God. And you and I have met people like this. They're in church every Sunday. They give their money to the church. They know a lot. And they're some of the meanest, (laughs) crankiest, least loving people we know. Why? They're doing all the things that you should do to grow with God, but they've missed God in the process. And the outcome is you become disillusioned and bitter. You might become a know-it-all in the church. And religion misses, misses the heart 
of what God came to bring us in Jesus, which is relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, I want to warn you. Jesus gives a different direction when it comes to spiritual growth. And if you're brand new to church, like you've never been to church, Easter was your first time or your second time when you're brand new, I'm going to share this with you and you're going to think, oh my gosh, that is really interesting. I never thought about that before. If you've been to church even for a few months, I'm about to say what Jesus' direction is when it comes to growing spiritually. And you're going to go through three phases in this sermon if you've been raised in the church or you've been here for a couple months. The first is you're going to say, duh. Like, duh, I know that. Trust me. Because I'm going to tell you what Jesus promises and what he says. And you're going to say, yeah, I know. The second response you're going to have about partway through the message is you're going to say, huh? Because we're going to get into something and you're going to say, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. But stick with me. Because the third thing you're going to say is, oh, that's what he means. So that's my goal for today. If you're brand new, it's going to be a great journey. If you've been raised in the church, you're going to say, duh, Huh? Oh. So just get ready. Duh? Huh? Oh. Don't stop at duh. Don't get lost at huh? Because I really want to get us to oh. Okay? Okay. Someone over there is ready. Appreciate that. Are anybody else's allergies killing them today? Oh my gosh. And it feels like we're like dying, doesn't it? I'm trusting that song, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me and he's going to go ahead and just expel these allergies from me. Can I get an amen out of that? Okay, perfect. And don't worry, this is one of the great things about being in a church like New Life. We are a controlled environment. We're pumping in our own air. You're not getting anything from the outside in this building today. You're welcome. We love you. So here's what Jesus offers. This is where you're going to say, duh, duh. Jesus says there is one key to growing spiritually. One key, one thing. Just do this, only this. Do this thing and the rest will follow. And over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about specifics of this thing. And we're going to keep coming back to this thing because this is his one thing. It's his prescription for spiritual growth. It's found in John 15. We talked about it a month ago in a different context, but I want to really press into it in the context of spiritual growth. Jesus is talking and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. Verse three, and I want you to to underline this next part. He says, you are already clean. We're going to come back to that. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me. This is where if you've been raised in the church, you're saying, duh. We've heard this before. Vine, branches, remain in me, fruit, blah, blah, blah. Don't tune out because it's brilliant. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse five, he says, I am the vine and you talking to us are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will. I want you to underline that will or circle it, put an emoticon next to it, put a star next to it. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
if you remain in me, you are like a branch. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. For somehow God is glorified in us bearing much fruit and showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says, remain in me. Or in some translations of the Bible, it says, abide in me. And this is where we say, check, got it, figured it out. And yet there's something in this passage that is the key to spiritual growth. There's something in remaining that Jesus says will actually bring about transformation in our lives. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And the idea of that fruit is, you will bear good things in your lives. The things that God wants for you, the things that you want for you, they will come out. It's a promise for those who remain in Jesus. But here's the problem. We've heard preachers talk about remaining in Jesus. We've heard this passage taught on before, but no one's ever taught us how to remain in Jesus. So we hear that we should remain in Jesus, but we don't know how. And so we default to our common practice of discipleship. No more, do more, must equal remaining in Jesus. What I want to do right now is try to unpack this passage for us and then get really practical because no more, do more is not what Jesus is talking about. No more, do more can very easily lead us to just flat religion without any sort of engagement with God. Let me try to unpack this passage for us. We're going to go back to verse 3. And we need to note that Jesus is actually talking to his followers. He's talking to his followers in this passage. By the way, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this could be for you. Jesus offers this to you. Every single person in here, this is an offer that God is giving to you today. He's talking to his followers, and it's important for a couple reasons. Here's where we're going to get into the, huh? So just get ready. It's important because as a follower of Jesus, God has given you a new nature. He's talking to people who are his followers because we have in us this new nature. And when I talk about nature, let me try to describe it for us. It's like a pull in a certain direction. That every one of us has a pull in a certain direction or an orientation towards a certain direction. And before we're in a relationship with God, that pull is oftentimes in opposition to God. So God wants to take us this direction, and our pull inside of us pulls us this direction. And so the very things that God is wanting us to do, we cannot do on our own because our orientation or our nature is pulling us this way. But when we become followers of Jesus, God actually puts a new nature inside of us. Look at how Peter puts it in 2 Peter. He says this, God's divine nature, he has given to, uh, sorry, I'm just going to pause right now and tell you something. I was thinking about this this morning and how odd it is that I am actually a communicator. In school, I hated reading out loud. Anybody else? I hated it. Here's how badly I hated it. We would do this thing in my school where you would have to read one person, then the next, then the next. They do paragraphs. I would count how many paragraphs were between me and the people in front of me. And when we got about three paragraphs away, I would raise my hand and say, may I go to the bathroom? And I would go and I would hide in the bathroom for the appropriate amount of time until the paragraphs had passed me and it was the next person's turn. How odd that I have to now read in front of hundreds of people every week and almost always mess it up. 
I just think God has an excellent sense of humor. So let's try that again. Here we are. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may, and here's the key, we may participate in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. What Peter is saying is, when we become followers of Jesus, God gives us a new nature. It's a divine nature that he puts in us, which is different than the nature we had before or the pull we had before. The pull we had before had desires that the Bible says are evil, which, which Peter simply means are counter to God, that God is inviting us this direction and our nature is pulling us this direction. But when we become followers of Jesus, we get a, a new nature inside of us, which is in infant form. It's a baby nature. But that's okay because God's, the process of spiritual maturity is God growing that new nature inside of us. The second reason why this is so important is that as a follower of Jesus, you and I have received God's spirit and we've been adopted as God's child. And having been adopted as God's child, we have all the rights and privileges of being in God's family. I didn't know our team was going to sing that song today, No Longer Slaves. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. But I love that God worked it out because the passage I want us to look at right now briefly is Romans chapter 8, where Paul actually takes that idea and spells it out for us. He says, The Spirit of God that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption in sonship, your adoption as God's child. And by God's Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba was one of the first uh, Hebrew words that a little Jewish child would learn. It was like Dada. So when dad got home, the, the toddler would come up and they would say, Abba, Abba. And it was like when your kid comes up to you and says, Dada. It was a very, very intimate term of a, a young child and a parent. And God's Spirit lives in us. And here's the great thing. Spiritual maturity is about this fledgling new nature inside of us, partnering with God's Spirit, and then growing up in us to become who God created us to be. So when Jesus talks about remaining, it's the process that looks like this. Remaining looks like learning how to live in this new reality that you are God's child. And then learning how to engage with God in our daily lives. When Jesus says, remain in me, he's saying, I want you to come. Learn what it's like to take on your new identity as my child. Recognize the fact that you have a new nature inside of you. Now, it is an infant nature, but it is there. Recognize the fact that my spirit lives in you and that my spirit is growing you to become spiritually mature. A couple weeks ago, our executive pastor, who's been working with this team, this think tank about discipleship, she brought this picture to Pastor Ron and myself, and I think we've got it up on the screens. I want to throw it up on the screens. We're going to sit here for a while. This is why I think you're going to want your notes. Um, she brought this 
to me and, and Ron and I, and she said, hey, this is what we've been thinking about and talking about. What do you think? And I thought it was brilliant. And then I added some things to it. So here's what I'll say. If there are parts of this chart that you think are brilliant, it's all Angela. If there are parts that you think are really bad, I probably added to it, okay? <laughs> but I want to spend some time talking about this because, because my guess is that most of us don't actually understand what Jesus means when he says, remain in me. And this chart is all about remaining. Look at, there's my pointer. This chart is all about remaining. Isn't that fun? It's like, anybody? No. Okay. You should not have given me this. Okay. Pull out your chart, flip it sideways. We're going to write some things in here. Right there where it says God gives his thoughts. I want you to write above that God's job. God's job. Down here, where it says new nature and heart change, I want you to write down there, God's job. Now on this chart, we've got God gives his thoughts. So God tells us what he thinks. That's God's job. And then on the other side is I obey God. Most of us assume that anything that happens in between God gives his thoughts and I obey God, like any lapse in there, is sin. We're wronging God. We're dishonoring God. We're, we're not obeying God. That anything that happens in between here and here, any lapse. So God gives a rule. I don't immediately obey it. Oh my gosh, I'm out of step with God. I have, I've denied God. I've ignored God. I want to give you a contrarian way to think about what it actually means to remain or engage with God. Because when we think that, here's what we do. We think spiritual maturity is no more, do more. So now I know more. I know God's thoughts. I must immediately do more. God said it. That settles it, whether I like it or not. I got to do it. And here's what happens when we just do what God says to do without ever engaging with God in the process. If we disagree with God, we just shove it down deep. And we end up simply complying with God. And ultimately, compliance will lead to one of two things. It will lead us to resentment or rebellion. And I was talking to a friend of mine who comes from a high compliance culture. And he said, well, compliance, had, it, it served me well as a kid. It had me doing the right things and thinking the right, like acting the right way. He said, my parents raised me to be compliant. And I said to him, well, as an adult, are there any things that your parents told you to do that you disagree with? He said, well, yeah, of course there are. I said, as an adult, do you do the things that your parents told you to do that you disagree with? He said, no, I just don't do it anymore. That's the problem with compliance. As long as his parents kind of had their thumb here, he would do what they said. The minute he went out on his own, he just threw off the rules. I don't need my parents' rules because I never engaged with the thoughts behind them. Jesus says, I want you to remain in me. And that word in the original language literally means to stick with me, to never leave, to engage, to keep coming over and over and over again. So back to our chart. God gives us his thoughts in the Bible. We've got that. God promises us that he actually has given us a new nature and that he wants to change and transform our heart, that the Holy Spirit is working with our new nature to change our heart. And then God gives us a command, and you see where this line is above the top? I want you to write my job above that line, because everything that happens under here is my job. 
This is God's job. Give us his thoughts. This is God's job to change our nature and change our hearts. This is my job. My job is to trust this new nature. My job is to trust that if I actually engage with God, God will change my heart. I want to give an example that most of us engage with at some point in our Christian journey. It's the example of of financial giving back to the church. And I want to give it because almost everyone in here has some sort of opinion about it, even if you've never come to church before. And I want to give it because I want to talk about what God actually invites us to. And you're going to be surprised. It's not just get out your checkbook and start giving. So God gives his thoughts. And God's thought is give back generously to the community of faith that you are engaging with. Fund the church. He he talks about this. Fund God's movement. Fund this community. And our job is to engage with him. And here's what engaging could look like. You see that... uh, See that lightning bolt? Below that, I want you to write, get angry. Get angry. So engaging with God around finances could mean you hear a sermon or you read something in the Bible that says God invites us to give generously. And you don't like it. But instead of just shoving that down deep and saying, well, the series will be over in four weeks, (laughs) like, guess I get a little vacation from church. Instead of that, You go home and you say, God, and this is where you have to actually trust God. God, I don't like that I just heard that you said that I need to give some of my money away. I don't like that. That seems wrong to me. How how could you, listen, the government's already taking plenty. Now the church wants more. Actually engaging with God sometimes means getting angry. And we see this in the Bible. The life of King David, who we're told is a man after God's own heart. David got angry with God. Now, he didn't give God kind of the big, forget you, I'm out of here. But he said to God, God, how could you do this? You promised X. I'm experiencing Y. I'm really upset. Why are you doing this? So anger usually moves to questioning. Or say questioning down below there. Part of engaging with God means asking questions. Saying, God, why would you say that I need to give? What are you trying to do in my life when I give? What are you trying to do through my life when I give? Just asking God some questions. And then the rest of this journey becomes about finding answers to those questions. A great place to look would be in the Bible. So we start reading the Bible and just go to the back of your Bible and look where it says money. And then look up everything God says about money to try to get an understanding of why would God be talking about money the way that God does? As you engage with God, God might prompt you, you should go talk to some people about this. And this is where community comes in. We talk a ton about how community is so important in transformation. This is where community comes in. Where you go to your community, your life group, your friends, and you say, hey, tell me your journey with money and God. Help me understand what you do and why you do it. Because it could be that God's going to use a person to speak to you to answer some of your questions. But if we have no community, if we don't have relationships, we have no one to go to when those crisis moments hit. And so we go to our community and say, God, tell me, what this looks like. And then we just experiment. We just start to experiment. Okay, God, I'm going to take a step and I'm I'm going to try to trust you. For the next three months, I'm going to give, and you can pick a percentage. I'm going to give this percent of my money. And then I'm going to keep track of my, my heart and my emotions and my finances and see what goes on in me when I give. 
Because Jesus, you have some promises around generosity, and I'd like to see if those are actually true. And so you just experiment with giving. Jesus promises that in this process, you are actually engaging with him. That this is the process of remaining that he's talking about. And that in this process of sometimes being angry, sometimes asking questions, seeing what God says in the Bible, engaging in community, and then experimenting, that he will take this new nature and his Holy Spirit will begin to transform your heart. So now you're actually wanting to do the things God is asking you to do. This is spiritual maturity. Learning how to engage with God so that he can transform our nature in the process. Which do you think God would want more when it comes to giving? You hear a sermon on giving. Let's say the pastor says, you know, give the first 10% back to God. You hear it, you don't like it, you don't agree with it, but you've got the money, so you just start writing the check every month. And in the process, you're becoming resentful and bitter and angry, and you're questioning, what's the church doing with my money? And you come to like a town hall gathering, and you're like, you better show me the financials, which is, we got it, we got it. Now, do you think God would like that? Now, you're giving, you're doing what God says to do. Do you think God would like that? Or would God be more pleased if you heard a message or a series on giving and you said, God, we need to talk about this. I've been around long enough to know that this comes up every year or so. We should probably talk. God, I don't like it. I don't understand it. Help me understand. I'm going to try some experiments. Even if this process took six months, which do you think God would be more pleased with? Just no more, do more, or actually remaining with him? give you a hint. It's the second. (laughs) I want to give another example. By the way, this is what transformation looks like. Transformation is God engaging with us from the inside out. It's us engaging with God and then God doing the work to transform our nature, to change our heart, and to make the things that God wants the things that we want. That's why the Bible can say God loves a cheerful giver. It's someone who actually has engaged with God, and God's desires and their desires have overlapped. I heard a pastor say one time, listen, God loves a cheerful giver, but this church loves any giver. Uh, That's hilarious, by the way. Um, I don't agree. I don't agree. I'm more interested in us engaging with God at a heart level than I am with you writing a check. The writing a check can just be an experiment to actually engage with God. I want to give you an example from my life. Now, most of the time when pastors do this, I'll just give you a little inside information. They always give you an example from something that's like 25 years ago because it's safe and they've overcome it and it's done and whatever. The problem is 25 years ago, I was 11. (laughs) So my examples don't really work here. So I'm going to give you an example from about six months ago on a way that I actually engaged with God. And I put this in my notes, and then last week I thought, there is no way I'm sharing that with the church. Here's why. This is me bringing myself to you and talking about something real in my life. And I know, when you do that, when you open yourself up, there's an opportunity that it's going to change and transform other people's lives. There's also an opportunity that someone's going to come and use it against you at some point in the future. 
right? We know that. But it seems to me that I'd rather be a person who opens up and shares and let the chips fall where they may. So let me tell you an experience I had. You're welcome. It's right here. So maybe six or seven months ago, I'm sitting at home one night and I was just talking to God. Just, hey God, it's a pretty good day today, a little bit stressed out, a lot going on. And I had just heard about a pastor uh, who I really respect out in like the South somewhere who had just gotten, um, gotten fired from his church because it came out that he had a, a, an alcohol, he was addicted to alcohol. Um, and the church tried to partner with him. He wasn't able to break that addiction and he just kept hiding it and whatever. So he got let go of his church and made me think, huh, alcohol, that's in- I want to talk about that, God. Let's talk about alcohol. Because my understanding of the Bible and alcohol is that alcohol is not in and of itself bad. That Jesus turned water into wine. We're like, hey, Sonoma County. Um, <laughs> that uh, Lagunitas, I think there's a reason why it's across the street. Like there, there are... Alcohol's not bad. Now, getting drunk is bad. The Bible's pretty clear. Don't get drunk. It alters your state of mind. You do things you're going to regret. It's just not a good idea. She's never going to be as pretty as she was when you were drunk. That's just never a good idea. Nope, too bad. Cut that out of the notes. Nope. So I said, God, let's talk about alcohol for a minute. Me and you. Let's just talk about alcohol because I drink. I drink more than probably most people on our pastoral staff. I'll have a, a beer a couple times a week or whatever. So let's just talk about alcohol because I don't get drunk. I just don't do it. I, I don't like it. I, I, get, I fall asleep. It's just not fun. Like, what? No. Last time I did, I was 21 years old. And I danced around a big sombrero, fell over, broke the hat. It was horrible. <laughs> and God and I started talking about alcohol. And, and God's, God really nudged me and prompted me. He said, you know what, Kevin? You don't get drunk, which is good. But there's something when you get stressed out where you kind of turn to alcohol. There's just something in there. And I was like, really? And I'm like, who can hear this? <laughs> and I sense God's spirit saying to me, you don't get drunk and that's good. But I've noticed a pattern. That there are certain days when you come home and it's been a really hard day at the office. Maybe someone you know, sent you an email or it was just stressful. And you start thinking about beer on your way home. Let's talk about that. He said, God, all right, God, let's talk. And we started processing, and I I asked some questions to God, and then I started reading the Bible about engagement, not about alcohol, because I don't get drunk, about engagement. And I realized, oh, I'm actually sometimes turning to alcohol instead of engaging with my kids when I get home. Maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it was newspaper and a pipe, right? Now it's slip and slippers, yeah. <laughs> now it's alcohol. It's like, huh, you're just kind of disengaging with the kids. So I decided, I, I, t- I talked to my community. I said to Maria, hey, this is this thing that's going on with me. Can you mirror back to me anything you see? She's like, well, you know, I don't see a major thing. You seem fairly engaged, but thanks for talking. I talked to our my, my leadership team, my spiritual stewards. I brought my staff into it. I gathered a friend and I said, hey guys, this is what God's bringing up to me. Can you mirror back to me what you see? Can you give me any insight here on not so much getting drunk, because I clearly don't, but on disengaging? And they were like, yeah, if you sense that, you need to figure out what to do. So I decided I'm going to do an experiment. So I got out my, my, sad. 
Well, you know where I was going. Decided to do an experiment. And my experiment was for the next five weeks, I'm just not going to drink at all. And I'm going to see how it feels. So I decided no alcohol, see how it feels. The first day I started driving home, I found myself thinking about alcohol pairings with dinner. Oh, there's something. A couple days later, it was really stressful at work. I thought, wow, it'd be nice to have a beer tonight. There's something. And then I realized, hey, I'm actually more present at home when I'm not thinking about those things. But I stopped, doing, stopped having a beer, and I got onto Facebook. And then God was like, hey, Kevin, just so you know, you're doing the same thing with social media. So then a couple months ago, I said, I'm just going to hop off social media for a while. Why? Because I don't want to disengage from my family because I'm missing out on life. I got to the end of that five months, I'd learned a ton with God. There was no shame in the process. I don't feel like God was like hammering down on me. We were just in process together. Got to the end of that five weeks and I asked God, God, should I never drink again? And the Holy Spirit prompted me and said, no, alcohol in and of itself is not bad. But God said, but let's connect before you drink. Let's just connect. So now what I do is, on the way home, I check in with myself. How am I feeling today? Pretty stressed out. Or, you know what? It was a great day. It was a victory day. It was awesome. And I check in with God. God, would tonight be a good night to have a beer? Sometimes I'll get kind of a, a hesitation, and I don't. Other times I get a very, like a, yeah, that'd be fine. Pairs well with meals. You like it? That's fine. See, friends, this is the process of engaging with God. It's not, don't drink ever, or drink all the time. There's no engagement with God there. It is simply learning how to engage with God. And in the process, God took my nature, and he began to form my heart around something that was this, like, a real healthy process. In this series, I'm just going to ask us over and over again to learn how to engage with God to learn how to engage with God. What would it look like to actually engage with God? And in the process of that, I'm trusting God that God will do what God promises to do, that he'll take our new nature and he will actually form our hearts in the process and that spiritual maturity happens here. And when God does this, then it becomes a joy to obey God. It's not a burden. It's not a stressor. It's a joy. And I want to say, let's be close. This is deceptively brilliant. We're people who like rules and structure. Jesus knows that every one of us is just a little bit different. I was praying for you this morning, and I had a sense, you know, we're all coming in here totally different today. With different things on our minds and our lives, different struggles, different experiences. And I said, God, I'm so thankful that your spirit knows each one of us and speaks uniquely to each one of us. And while this seems a little more convoluted and not as easy to prescribe, this is where God's Spirit moves in our lives. I'm just going to invite you to take a journey with me. Let's just explore it together. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, everything I'm talking about is available to you. Everything. God wants to put a new nature in you. God wants to give you His Spirit. God wants to adopt you into His family. This is what God gave his life for. This is what we celebrated on Easter. And if you're ready to do that, as we wrap our time up together, I'm just going to pray and give you some space to engage with God and do that. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you so much that you invite us to remain in you.
to engage with you and that you promise us that in this journey of engaging with you, we will bear good fruit. We will experience the goodness of life that you have designed us to experience. Would you show our community what it looks like to take a contrarian view to spiritual growth? One that I believe is honoring to this invitation that you give to remain in you. Would you help us to be brave in the process of trying new things? Would you help us to be vulnerable in the process of experimenting and sharing with others in community? And would you do what you promise, which is to produce in us that fruit that is so, so good? And if I have a friend here, Lord, who's not yet part of your family, who has not become a Christian, Holy Spirit, would you prompt in them right now a desire to know you more fully and to say yes to you? Just to invite you to be their leader and their savior. God, as you do that in their life, would you show them what it looks like to partner with you on this journey? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.